Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Associate Pastor Ian Mulraney. It was 2.30 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon. I was getting ready. My body was tensed, ready in fight or flight mode. As I looked into the dead stare eyes that I've seen dozens of times before, which I knew meant that the violent individual across from me was about to attack. Whoa, how did I get here? Remember those kind of movies or whatever? Let me tell you a little bit, then we rewind to the beginning of the story. That, that's what would happen if there was a visual. That would, that would be the visual. But <laughs> So... Um, many of you guys know that for a number of years, and in case you didn't know, now you know, I worked at Wood Services over in Langhorne. Um, and if you're not familiar with Wood Services, they provide um, services that work with individuals with different kinds of disabilities and brain injuries. And my job while I was there was that I was hired to work one-on-one with a particular individual called Dave. Um, And Dave lived at Woods because he had a past history of being violent in his house, that he was too dangerous to live at home. And uh, so he lived residentially at Woods. And not all of the kids who live at Woods are one-to-ones. Many of them are just living there and go to school and things like that. But Dave was a one-to-one because he was so violently dangerous and tempestuous that he could hurt himself, others, buildings, property, at a moment's notice. And so he needed somebody who was always by his side to make sure that he was being safe or that if he was being dangerous, there was at least somebody who could be a blockade while everybody else evacuated. And so that was my job. I was his bodyguard and also the bodyguard for everybody else. And I refer to Dave as a kid, but that is a little bit of a misnomer. Mentally, Dave was a child. He loved Sesame Street. He loved singing Disney songs, but he had the fully developed body of a 23-year-old man. And so Dave, like all of us, sought to maintain control over his environment. And the way that he would do this is he kept a very strict, tight schedule. Um, He had mapped out every moment of every day for the next five or six years. He kept journals of what kinds of birthday cakes he wants for each birthday coming up. Um, He has a very strict sense of what he wants each day to look like. And so that would mean that because he had behavioral autism and OCD, that if something happened that threw that off, if the bus was running late in the morning, if somebody took a chair from the kitchen and put it in the living room to watch TV, he would come out and this would bother him. But the other thing you have to know about Dave is that Dave... He can't communicate like you and I can. He can't say like, hey, that chair is making me upset. Can we move that back? He scripts. This is part of his autism. And what I mean by that is 95% of everything Dave says is actually something that he has heard before from a song, from a movie, from a TV show, from uh, whatever, something that someone in his class when he was younger might have said once. And then he just plays these lines, and that's how he communicates. Um, he might say, if whenever we're knocking on a door, he'll kick it and stomp and say, move. 
And it's not that he's angry. He's quoting Dudley from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because that's what Dudley does to the snake in the boa constrictor cage. He bangs on the glass and says, move. So when we knock on a door, move. Um, in the case of the chair, Dave might come out and say, how many minutes? And that meant that whenever I heard how many minutes, that was my signal that as his staff, I had to figure out what was upsetting Dave because he wants to know how long whatever is upsetting him is going to be there. And I was on a timer because if I didn't solve it, he would show me what was upsetting him by attacking the person who was upsetting him. So I have to know, is the TV too loud? Is he wanting to know when is lunch going to be ready? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yeah, and if I didn't figure it out, somebody was going to be pinned to the floor with, I have a couple tattoos from him where his teeth flashed onto my arm. Um, he was an interesting individual to say the least. Just one of the things that um, he can't control about himself. But as I worked with Dave and I got to know him, I learned that he wasn't so much, as you can kind of tell from the stories I'm saying too, Dave wasn't a violent individual because he loved the sake of violence. He didn't get joy or pleasure out of tormenting his peers or his staff. Dave was afraid. Dave had anxiety. And when you can't communicate that anxiety, you have very limited skills and resources to let the world know how you're feeling and to communicate those fears. Like Amanda was just talking about, like I think we cope in different ways. We try to numb our anxieties and pains or deal with it in different ways. And Dave's just go-to with the brain he has is to begin to hurt himself or others. And so using the skills that Dave had to work with, I tried an experiment one time. I taught him adapting the song that he knew from his youth that I'm sure we all know, This Little Light of Mine. Sometimes I would say to Dave when he was feeling stressed, I would say, oh, do we have my slides? Thanks. Um, I would say to Dave, there's a light in your heart named Jesus, and he keeps you safe. And uh, yeah, you can debate the theology of how, how that would fly in Nicene councils or things like that, but... It was a way for Dave to understand that there is a God who loves him and God is taking care of him and helping him deal with the things that make him afraid. So back to that Wednesday day, Wednesday. It all started at 2 p.m. on Wednesday. Dave worked a job on campus that every day we got out at two o'clock and every day because he kept a very strict schedule, supervisors knew Dave needed to be picked up at 2 o'clock. And this particular Wednesday, 2 o'clock came around. Dave saw the time. He looked up at me. I didn't see the van driver come in, so I said he, he had gotten to use his iPad as a reward. So I said, you get bonus time today, which satisfied him because who doesn't, which kid among us doesn't love their iPad today? Um, so he did that, but it only occupied him for five minutes. And then he looked at me, and he gave me a dead eye stare. And as I kind of hinted at before, one of the warning signs that he was going to explode was he just, his emotions change, his uh, cheeks sag, and he gives you this dead-eyed stare. He doesn't say anything, he just looks at you. And so he gave me that stare. I said, okay, let's go outside. <laughs> so we pack up our stuff, we get our coats, 
I'm praying, like, hopefully the van is coming right around the corner and we'll be okay. Well, we see lots of other buses and vans picking up some of the other residents who work that same job, but our van wasn't there. So I say, hey, why don't we play I Spy to see where the van is? So we're playing I Spy, and while he's doing that, I call my supervisor and say, hey, where the heck is the van? And the supervisor is like, oh, so sorry. There was a kid who had an emergency at school today, and we had to go and pick them up. And we'll be back, um, but it might take another 10 minutes. It takes 30 seconds for Dave's teeth to be latched around my forearm. So I'm like, great, what am I going to do with him for 10 minutes? So we keep playing the game. And that works. It's fun. Until all the other vans and buses are gone. And now it's just me and him standing there. And he knows now something is up. Because when are we ever the last two at his job waiting to go home? So he's standing there very rigid and tense and shaking. And so I call the supervisor again, and they don't pick up. And now I am beginning to freak out too. I am saying, how many minutes? Because I want to know. <laughs> and um, time keeps passing on. With each passing minute, I'm just praying that just around the corner it'll be there. You know those times where like only a few minutes pass, but it feels like it's been weeks? That's, that was what was going on here for me. And finally, 225 hits. And Dave, who had been like looking on the road for our van, turns towards me. And he has that look in his eye. The dead-eyed stare. And that's when I am in fight or flight mode. I'm like, okay, do I just want to try and stay out of his grasp, or do I have to like, wrestle with him until somebody can come and help? And then he opens his mouth. And a lot of times when he attacks, he gives like a battle cry shriek of like, ah, that you know is going to happen. And as soon as I see his mouth opening, I flinch. But what I hear is, there is a light in my heart named Jesus, and he keeps me safe. Wow. That's what he said to you? Yeah. And we kept repeating that to each other until the band finally showed up at 2.30, and then I bit the driver on the arm. <laughs> There's a couple different ways I could teach our passage today. I'm sure you heard things as Kyle was reading, like, don't be greedy. There shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality amongst you. Um, get rid of anger and slander and brawling and be compassionate and get rid of immorality and all that sort of things. And so there's a way that I could teach this passage today where I say, be better and don't do these things. Which would be like me telling Dave, don't hit people, which I had had to say to him in the past. But if we really want to seek change in our lives, if we really want to be transformed, I think we have to do what Paul talks about at the beginning in verses 23 and 24 of Ephesians, which I don't know if I have it up there. but um, And that is to put off our old selves and be made new in the attitude of our minds. That it's when we are able to actually understand that we are loved by God that we can start to live as God wants us to. Now, I think this passage is important. I think that 
there's a reason Paul goes through this long list of things that Christians should not be doing and that Christians should be doing. And that's because the reality is there's good and there's evil in this world. That as Christians, we're called to become not part of the evil anymore, to leave our sin behind, exit the kingdom of the air, to use the language Paul used at the beginning of this book, and to live into the way of love which Christ called us to. The religious term for this is repentance, and it can mean a turning. Rabbis taught that it could also be a transformation, like a literal transforming from one way of being into another. And Paul uses a pretty clear example of why this matters. If you look in your Bibles, verse 428, um, he he uses the example of somebody who had been stealing, a robber, a thief. And it makes sense. If you are a robber and you become a Christian, what does your testimony to God look like if you continue breaking into people's houses, taking their TVs, taking their jewelry, Believing gospel tracts behind on your way out. Right. <laughs> he said, not me. But, <laughs> but yeah, what does it mean if you, were, if you were once a thief, if you have an encounter with Jesus and you devote your life to him and you keep stealing? A better testimony to the truth of God and the power of God is your transformed way of being. And here's what I love about the Christian life and about Paul's teaching here is it's not simply a you were bad now be good but it's you can be like God it's like it's a a yes and it's a it's a yes and more because verse 428 says anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their hands that's where you could end it but Paul goes on to say that they may have something to share with those in need Does that sit with you? Does that make sense? Like, in the kingdom of God, you don't just go from being bad to good, but you go from being transformed into, like, the opposite of what you were. You were taking things from people before, and now you should work so that you have enough to give back into the world. There's, like, a healing and an undoing of the brokenness that we caused. That is not just enough to be good or obedient, You know, there's over 20 rules that Paul writes in this passage, and this is not meant to be read as the 20 commandments, right? He's not trying to double up on what Moses has already done. Because if he did, he would actually be undoing what he's already written about in the beginning of this book, which is that we are saved by grace and faith alone. That it's not our behavior that gets us uh, salvation, that builds us a relationship with Jesus, but it's the way that Christ has already accepted us. And so we just have to know that love and allow it to do its work in us. The reason that we're called to do this um, is because it's how God is. God is good. God is light. Um, Paul writes, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself For us, when we turn from our sinful nature, what we're actually doing is we're becoming like God. Because that's what we're supposed to be. Christians are little Christs. 
We're made in his image. We're supposed to be the bearers of God's image in the world. And that doesn't mean that we just walk around with white beards on our face. That means we reflect what God's character is to him. God is a creator. God is a ruler. God is love, right? We become the people that God has made us to be. So, evil is real. God doesn't tolerate it because he's standing against it and bringing justice and judgment to all who participate. So don't walk in that anymore because now the invitation is you can be in the holy, encompassing, beautiful, wonderful life of Christ. And so I hope the message that I'm getting across today is that you cannot will yourselves to be more moral and righteous people. And even if you could, it would be missing the point. When Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, he announced, repent and believe. Part of being in the kingdom of God is to change the way we've been living, right? I do hope that that is part of what your walk with Jesus is like, is to know when you've done things wrong and to confess and turn from that. But I truly think that has to come from believing first, from believing the good news that you are made in the image of God and that you are loved. And once you start to ingrain that narrative into yourself, once you allow your mind to be transformed from the former way of thinking into this new kingdom way of thinking, that that's when the good fruit begins to be born. And I say all this because I need this reminder for myself. I don't know when it started or how it started, but I remember playing outside in my backyard when I was just a kid, before I even started elementary school, and feeling alone, feeling like I didn't belong with others. And that feeling I carried with me most of my life, I still carry it with me, if I'm being honest. I look around at the world and I see the way I wish I could be, and I see people who are the way I wish I could be, I see people who are funny and who are intelligent and who are smart. You know, I see people who are more handsome than I am, and I feel like I'm not those things, and because I'm not those things, that means I'm not good, and that I don't have value. And I create this narrative to myself that I'm unlovable, And when that is my narrative, it affects my attitudes and my actions. When I think that I'm unlovable, when I convince myself that I, that I can understand other people but nobody takes the time to understand me, I get this bitterness and this rage in my heart that I carry around. I don't always see other people like they're made in the image of God but I see them with jealousy, and I see them with rage, and I see them with bitterness. And it makes me insecure, and it makes me compete with others. I have this desire and this longing within me to be holy and completely known and understood. And I have a dual desire 
to be unconditionally loved. And I found that it seems with people, you can't be both. That if somebody actually fully knows who you are and sees all the broken and bad bits and pieces of you, then they're not going to love you. And at the same time, sorry, that sounded like my son. At the same time, if you are fully or unconditionally loved, then it means you have to hide who you are from those people because if they get too deep, they're not gonna love you anymore. And so along with that bitterness and that rage and that competitive spirit, it comes out in other ways. You know, in high school, I guess a lot of people I probably shouldn't have, just because I wanted to feel like if pretty people thought I was good, then that must mean I am good. It means that I make bad decisions, and when I dig myself into those bad decisions, I don't ask for help from other people in getting out because I don't want them to think what I already know they think about me, which is that I'm dumb or I'm stupid or I'm helpless. I don't want to further that narrative, so I don't ask for help and I dig myself into bigger holes than I should. When I think and live and act this way, I don't give glory to God for anything because what do I have to be thankful to God for? When I'm feeling scared and alone and crappy. And if I'm being completely honest, that narrative which has sat with me since I was four years old playing outside on the playground, feeling like I didn't belong, that has carried with me throughout my life, I still have that sometimes and in the worst moments, I sit at home and think, this world would be better if I wasn't here. The contempt that I feel for others becomes a self-contempt that breaks me down and makes me hate everything about who I am. And by God's grace, in those moments when I'm sitting there feeling and thinking those things, I hear a voice in my head that tells me Go actually one farther, Gary, but there is a light in your heart named Jesus, and he keeps you safe because he loves you. And that's true for me, that's true for Dave, and that's true for all of you. There is a light in your heart who is God named Jesus. And he keeps you safe because he loves you. Amen. Amen. And if I let myself believe that, that changes everything. Because then, this is saying those two competing desires I have are met. That there is a God who knows me wholly and completely, who has seen everything I've ever thought and felt everything I've ever felt, done everything, or was with me, watching everything I've ever done, and that doesn't scare him away. That doesn't lead him to condemn me, but actually has led him to die for me. Why? Because he loves me. Because he cares for me. Because he wants to keep me safe. And that is true for all of you. There is nothing you have said or done or felt that can separate you from the love of God. This book makes that very clear. The Holy Spirit makes that clear. You are made in God's image, and you are worthy enough that Jesus went to the cross for you. 
And that he didn't just stay on the cross and die, but that he, eternal life, that he came back from the dead, that resurrection is possible for all because of God's power and might. That God wasn't content letting this world rot away in sin and evil and filth, but that he came to combat it and he put to death death on Good Friday and brought himself and all creation back to life on Easter Sunday. And there's nothing that can keep you from him. So, when we believe this, like for me, it means I can let go of that jealousy, that anger, that fear with other people. And I can start to not see people as competitors or rivals, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, as friends. If we really believe this, it means we don't have to hoard our wealth and our money because our security is no longer in our bank account but it's actually in Jesus, that Jesus is keeping you safe. And so, you, like Paul says, you don't have to be greedy anymore because you know that God loves you. If we believe this, we can stop finding ourselves worth sleeping, a lot, sleeping around. We can let go of bitterness. We can stop gossiping about others. We can do everything else that Paul talks about in this chapter because we know that God loves us. And so that's actually what I want us to do. Paul has over 20 commands here, not commands, rules, not rules, ways of living and ways of being Jesus-like, ways of being like God. And I am going to reread through all of them. But what I want to happen as I reread through them, it's a long passage, but I want you to, um, I want you to meditate on a prayer or a verse which helps you to know the fact of this, that you, there's a light in your heart named Jesus and that he keeps you safe because he loves you. And so I have a couple examples that you can use. Is there another slide? Yes. All right. So there's a couple examples that if you need one, memorize one of these right now. They're pretty short. Memorize part of one if you need. There's the one that I said to Dave, which is there's a light in your heart named Jesus and he keeps you safe because he loves you. There's St. Patrick's breastplate, which was a prayer. It's it's appropriate, it's March, you could maybe do that one. But St. Patrick prayed, Christ with me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ in me. Julian of Norwich has a famous expression, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well, a Christian saint. And then there's the Jesus prayer, which is adapted from a parable that Jesus taught, which goes, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pick one of those, or if there's a verse that has special meaning to you, or another prayer, or just what a phrase that you need to meditate on that reminds you that there's a light in your heart named Jesus, and he keeps you safe. And so as I read through this passage again, at the end of each line, I want you to... I'm going to pause for just a second, because there's a lot. But I want you to say that prayer or repeat that verse to yourself. And see what it does in you. Let the Spirit of God work in you here to teach you what you need to know. With over 20 things, there's going to be something that you're not doing perfectly. Let that repentance transform you. And let God just tell you what it is you could be adapting, working on. Or just hear the voice of affirmation if you need. If you're already hard on yourself, maybe God wants to tell you this morning that you're doing okay 
and to remind you that it's not about the rules, that we're not doing this to earn God's favor, but we do it because we have it already. So take 30 seconds, pick one of those or pick a verse, then I'll read through it again. I think the verses are on there, so. No, okay. (laughs) All right, everybody ready? Yes. Sherry's ready, but is everybody ready? Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 520. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you... There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For all of this you can be sure 
no immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that was meaningful for you guys. It was. Thank you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, just as a kind of epilogue, for what it's worth, um, Dave did continue to hurt himself and others afterwards, but for that moment, it helped. And it's something that I believe his parents say he still says to himself. So it's not a perfect... Really? Wow, that's amazing. It's not a perfect walk. Yeah. But day by day, time by time, we can learn to look more like Jesus. So don't beat yourself up if you don't do it perfectly the first time. But just let that love and grace remind you that you are loved and God keeps you safe. Amen. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.